Have you ever been tempted to give up or check out in your walk with God? Have you been at a place in life's journey where you felt overwhelmed and overshadowed by life's obstacles, setbacks, or heartaches? It could be you are at such a place right now, a place where you are hungering for hope. If so, then Hope Along the Journey podcast is a ministry of encouragement created specifically with you and others just like you in mind. And now, here is your host, Mark Cravens, to share a word of encouragement with you today. Well, thank you, friends, for listening to today's episode of Hope Along the Journey. I'm Mark Cravens, your podcast host, your broadcast host, and I'm just delighted that you have joined us for today's episode. I have a very special guest that I'm going to introduce in just a moment. But before I do, I'd like to encourage those of you who are listening to take a moment to reach out and let us know that you're listening. Whether you're listening on the radio or listening through the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. If you would, just send me an email at hopealongthejourney at gmail.com. Again, that's just hopealongthejourney at gmail.com. I'd like to also ask you to go to our website at hopealongthejourney.org, and when the when the little window pops up that says, stay in touch, would you put your email address in there? I'd love to have you on our monthly email newsletter list. So again, that's hopealongthejourney.org. Just put in your email and you'll start receiving the monthly newsletter. As I mentioned, by way of Zoom, I've got a great guest here, a longtime friend, wonderful preacher, great pastor, just a great guy all the way around even though he's a Cubs fan. Although, other than that, all the way around, he's just a great guy, and that's Pastor Travis Johnson. Pastor Johnson, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you. It's so great uh, to be with you. Uh, for those of you who may not know who Pastor Travis Johnson is, he's spent over 30 years in preaching ministry, starting when he was only 15 years old. I got to stop here. Do you have any of those sermons still? O- only for nostalgic sake, I certainly don't <laughs> preach them. <laughs> oh, if only and my we... congregation is very happy. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. I started at seventeen, and I and I know what those were like. Well, Travis has pastored for over twenty six years. He serves presently as the lead pastor of the Bible Methodist Church located in Finley, Ohio. He's an ordained elder in the Heartland Conference of the Bible Methodist Connection of Churches. He also serves as the spiritual life director for an organization called Youth Challenge. He's the editor of the Bible Methodist publication and serves on the board of Holy Joys. He has a B.A. in Bible and Theology from God's Bible School and College and has also done graduate work in theology from Wesley Biblical Seminary, started to say cemetery, seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> and next month, drum roll in the background, he will be married to his wife, Jody for 29 years. She told me the other day it doesn't seem feel like a day over 40. She, they've married for, to Jody for 29 years. He's a father of three children, Shaley, 23, who just got married to Corey Stewart. Alyssa, 20, who's getting married this year in September. You're going to be broke, Doc. You're just going to be broke. I know it. And Kendrick, who will be 17 in a few days, and somebody else will have to pay for that wedding. Isn't that great? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Among so many things that he loves to do, he loves to read, write about practical and pastoral theology. He plays the bass. He does a great job. Acoustic and electric guitar. He loves to fish. 
And as I already sadly mentioned, he follows his favorite baseball team, the Chicago Cubs. What a bio, Doc. I'm just telling you, I'm impressed, and we haven't even got started yet. So welcome, Travis. Glad that you're here. Thank you. Well, Travis, I we're talking today about something very special, and that is about your father's conversion and how he came to know the Lord. But I think we need to kind of just go back in time to set that story up. Uh, and in order to do that, I just wanted you to kind of start painting a picture for us of what what was your childhood like growing up, especially your relationship with your father. Kind of let it, my listeners know what, what that was like for you growing up. Sure. I think if one word could sum it up, it'd be dysfunction. Uh, between both sets of my parents, there's been 11 marriages. Wow. And uh, my yeah. parents divorced when I was when I was young. I think I was six or seven when mom and dad divorced. So I didn't live with dad long, but those mm-hmm. short years were just marked by dysfunction and, and volatility, anger. Dad, you know, he was a functioning alcoholic. And what I mean by that is he always paid his bills. He always showed up to work uh, just like his dad, my grandpa did. But most days would end with him drunk or high and always angry. Mm. And sadly, even at the last few years of his life, dad turned to, to meth and even hard drugs, you know, as a 70 some year old man doing hard drugs like that, it just, I couldn't fathom it, but he was very angry all the time. And he, he took his anger out a lot on mom and my older brother, who was his stepson. Mm-hmm. I don't ever remember dad hitting me, but I remember him hitting my brother and it got so bad that eventually uh, Kevin had to to move in with my mom's parents, my grandparents. And I, I want I want you to remember that because that that story, uh, that relationship between my brother and dad comes back into play after my yeah. dad's conversion. But I remember at one time, uh, dad was so angry. He was he had mom in a headlock and he was hitting on her. He was he was so out of control. He tried to put her head in a microwave. <laughs> Oh, wow. And shut the door, and he, he was pushing buttons. And I'm I'm five years old, and I'm like, doesn't the door have to be closed for a microwave to work, right? It's funny, but it's not. But it, you just right, kind of right. la- have to laugh at that. Yeah, don't you? you have to laugh about it yeah. now. And uh, you know, I remember there were nights Dad wouldn't come home, and and the next morning, Mom would load. I have a twin sister, and Mom would load us up in the car, and we'd go looking for Dad, and we'd find his truck at some random house, and. And, uh, you know, my dad grew pot, sold it and went to jail for it numerous times as a kid. And even later when I was an adult, he went to jail, you know, one, one memory stands out. I'll never forget, uh, the day that mom left dad for good. We, we lived out in the country, lived on this long, uh, gravel driveway and mom was actually backing out of the driveway as fast as she could to get away from dad because he was chasing after us with a baseball bat and our little puppy dog was running alongside the van and my sister and I are crying for the dog. And, and we had one of those, you know, big sliding doors, a seventies van, you know, mm-hmm. and um, mom slowed the van down um, enough for our dog to jump in and we grabbed the dog, but dad caught up with this and just beat the windshield in um, with that baseball bat and scared us all. We're all crying and, and, and really, I think that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. It wasn't long after that, that uh, mom and dad divorced. And, and honestly, I didn't see a whole lot of dad growing up. Mm-hmm. I only saw him a few weeks out of the year. But I remember he was always angry, all, especially hateful towards my mom's parents. They were godly people. Mm-hmm. 
And anything that had to do with church, religion, man, he was just hateful. He knew that my grandparents took us to church camp every, every summer, and he always had mean and nasty things to say about that. Wow. I can't, I can't imagine what that had to be like. I mean, that atmosphere of fear, you know, and then the abuse that your mother went through, your, your stepbrother, or was it a half-brother? It's my half-brother, yeah. half-brother went through. Yeah, yeah. That's just, that's just unbelievable. What was it like? You said you were like just very young, but for you, what were some of the feelings and emotions that you remember having to deal with as a child whenever these episodes would happen in your home? Yeah, I always just I always remember just walking on eggshells. Any little thing would set them off. You know, um, if, if you if, if he's watching his favorite TV show, which mm-hmm. was usually always a western of some kind, uh, and and you would interrupt that, he would get angry. Mm-hmm. Or if, mm-hmm. if you're playing too loud, it was just you just yeah. you you just never knew. And then there's sometimes he could be just so sweet and loving. So and, there were some good it, memories to it. Yeah, even. absolutely. Well, he took yeah. me fishing a lot, and those were great memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and my grandpa took me to a Cubs game a time or two. You know, those were great memories, things like that. Right, right. But it, but it was just so unpredictable. You know, one minute he'd be sweet, and the next minute mm-hmm. he'd be he'd be so angry yeah. and hateful. Wow. Out and of control. Looking back, have you been able to piece together, like, where or what was at the the at the heart of that anger that, that he seemed to always, that seemed to always be raging within him? You know, that, that question has puzzled me for years. Uh, my grandpa Johnson um, was a good man, loved him dearly. He was not a believer. And, um, but after he's been gone now over 20 years and my grandma is still living, she's 97, Mm -hmm. be 98 in August. And she's outlived by the way, all three of her sons. Uh, I've lost two uncles and my dad. So my grandma's been through a lot, but just the conversations I've had with her over the years, she's very respectful of my grandpa. She's never run him down, but little things she said about my grandpa and even the way he was raised, I think affected how he raised uh, my dad. Uh, So I think, I think, I think his own relationship with his father, uh, my grandpa had a lot to do with that. Yeah. yeah you, my grandpa wasn't angry like that. He wasn't out of control like that was anything like that that I ever saw. Yeah. It's amazing. Of course, as you go back, so many things today that we, that are more out in the open or we're more aware of maybe they were long held family secrets for generations and generations. It's like they knew about this, but it's just kind of like either everybody turned their head the other way, or it was just the fact that it was expected to be that way because that's the way Families had operated for years. So it, that is, it is very fascinating. Well, so tell us a little bit about what your relationship was like with your father as you moved into college and then, of course, your adult years. What, what was that relationship like, or was there any relationship at all between you and your father? Yeah, let me, let me back up a bit, if I could, mm-hmm. and, and talk about my teen years, sure. because that's, that's really when the relationship with dad became very, very strained. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I know we're here today to talk about my dad's conversion, but there's no way to talk about his conversion without mm-hmm. talking about mine. Right. Uh, they're intersected. And I think you'll see that as, 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 as we get through this podcast. So I don't want to make this about me, mm-hmm. but they're so closely connected. So, yes. you know, I was a young team coming up in the mid eighties, late eighties. And, and I became attracted to sin. I was bound by it. And, 
you know, I, I got caught up in the whole MTV music, uh, you know, uh, scene and mm-hmm. 13, 14, 15, smoking pot, in middle school and high school. And I kept all this from mom, by the way. Uh, yeah. She she was not a believer, but she had very high moral standards and she <laughs> but she was very naive. <laughs> and uh, but I kept all this from her. Mm-hmm. But in the spring of 88, I, I was just miserable. And looking back now, I realized I was under conviction. In fact, uh, I'll never forget the last time I got high. It's probably a month, a month before I got saved. And I was with a group of friends and we didn't have any cigarette paper. And so we, I'm almost embarrassed to tell this, but we, we ripped a page out of a Bible mm-hmm. and, and rolled up our, our marijuana in, in that Bible page. And I made a big joke about it to my friends and laughed about it. But when I got home, I remember collapsing on my bed and just weeping. And I said, God, I don't want to be this way. And I remember praying, don't let me become like my dad. Cause I knew that's the direction that I was headed. Right. Well, as I mentioned earlier, my grandparents on my mom's side, uh, he was a pastor and they took us to church camp every year. And it was the summer of 88. I was at the Pilgrim Holiness camp in Anderson. I know you've been there. Right. And I was miserable under conviction, but man, God was really speaking to me. And on the first Monday night of camp, during the prelude to the pre-service, I just ran to the altar. I just, I I was under so much conviction. I'll never forget the devil came with me and the devil said, if you go and pray, you'll lose all your friends. And I turned around to see what my friends were doing. And about seven of my friends were following me to the altar. (laughs) So I learned my first lesson. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> my first theology lesson before I was ever saved, the devil's a liar. Yes, he is. That's right. So I got saved that night. And I was so excited to tell everyone what God had done for me. Uh, but I knew I had to tell my dad, but I was scared to tell dad because he was so angry about religion. Mm-hmm. And so I saw dad later that summer, August. By that time, I had told mom I couldn't go back to public school. I'd been wrapped up in all these things. Mm-hmm. And so I enrolled at UBC and, you know, that's where I met you and right. uh, your brother, Chris, and so many others. And so I, I was accepted by UBC, UBS back then to live on campus as a 15 year old in the dorm in high school. And I knew I had to tell dad all that, but I was scared. I remember going to dad's late that summer and I had my devotions um, under a blanket at midnight with a flashlight. I didn't, I didn't even want dad to know that I had a, a Bible in the house. And um, a couple of days later, it was a Saturday. My uncle Mark was in town. He was only about 15 years older than me and really, really cool. My dad's brother. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, this would be a good time to tell dad that I got saved. Right. And we were heading out of town to go fishing. And as we were loading up the truck, I told dad I got saved and he became angry, tried to punch me. And Uncle Mark stepped in between him, kept him from punching me. And he he just began to curse at me. We got in the truck. We headed out of town and we passed a brick church there on Barner Street in Frankfort, Indiana, a little brick holiness church. And Mm -hmm. I remember dad pointing at that church and cussing at it, cursing God. Now, fast forward five years. I would marry the daughter of the pastor of that church in that very Isn't church. That amazing. Yes. And if you fast forward to 2001, I became the youth pastor of that church and stayed there uh, for 11 years. And just in just a few blocks away from where dad lived, I served there at that church. But that, that relationship with Christ and that decision I made to, especially to preach, he became really angry with that. That just, that just really, 
created a lot of um, awkward, cold moments in my relationship with him as a teenager and as a young man. Wow, that's amazing. And your grandfather had a lot of influence in your life. I've heard you speak of him many, many oh, times. In fact, don't no doubt. You, did you get a guitar from him? Yeah, I have his 1947 Gibson. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. Which yeah. he bought in the 50s off of J. Wesley Adcock's wife. In that era. Of all people. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is so neat. Well, your conversion certainly caused your life to take a 180 turn from where it was going. And it sounds like that Travis, if you hadn't given your heart to Jesus, you were in some ways heading right down the same path that your your dad was going down, and no doubt, down. Yeah. no doubt. So, yeah. well, so that puts us into these. So, throughout your what what kind of relationship did you have with him, and especially when the grandchildren came along, was there any softening, any warmth, or was there always this huge gulf between you? Well. Probably the first 15 years of me being a Christian, there was a huge gulf, even with grandkids. That didn't soften dad a bit. Um, he was just always angry, never wanted to talk about. He never asked when I, you know, when he saw me you know, about, about my church, about what I did for a living. He never wanted to talk about that. The only thing we could talk about was, you know, fishing or Westerns or baseball. Yeah. And any time religion came up or church came up, it would just, it would just get so uh, hostile and uh, mm-hmm. demonic, even you, you can you can feel the oppression in his home, and he never heard me preach. He never came to hear me preach. All those years that I I pastored in Frankfurt, just a few blocks from him, he never came to hear me preach. In fact, the only times he heard me preach were at two funerals. I preached his dad, my grandpa, and his grandma, my great grandma's funeral. And I remember thinking, this might be the only opportunity he has to hear me preach. Right. And you better believe I let him have the gospel both barrels yeah. in those sermons. But when I was 29, I had just finished preaching my great grandma's uh, funeral, and which would be my dad's grandma. Mm-hmm. And I remember he walked up to the casket, and he stopped, and he looked me in the eyes, and he shook my hand. And for the first time in my life. He said, son, I'm proud of you. The first time and in your life. How first old, time. How old would you be? 29. I was 29. 29 and that's, my wife will tell you too, that's when the softening began. We begin to see little incremental changes in him, mm-hmm. in his demeanor uh-huh. towards the church and towards me and towards what I did uh, for a living. Yeah. I want to ask you a question. This isn't any, I didn't prep you for this one. So this sure. is coming out of left field. But what's it like for a young man to grow up without his dad's stamp of pride and approval on his life? Sure. What's that like? It's a sense of emptiness. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to explain it. Just a longing, everything, every son wants that from his dad. Yes. You know, uh, we don't, I didn't, I never want a dad to be mushy and cry all over me or anything like that, but I just longed to hear those words and I'm proud of you, mm-hmm. you know, and I never heard it till I was 29. And, yeah. and I remember what he told me, I, I wept like a 14 year old at a Taylor Swift concert. I mean, I just bawled and bawled yeah. and bawled and everyone <laughs> probably there thought I was crying over my great grandma, but I wasn't, mm-hmm. I was crying over what my dad told me. That is fantastic. Yeah. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I think every young man, I think about so many young men, of course, living myself here in Cincinnati, where families without dads is just an epidemic. 
you know, you've got all these young men roaming the streets, trying to find meaning and purpose in life, joining gangs, doing drugs and all of that. But I just wonder how different their lives might have been had they had the affirmation and the presence of a father who could have mm-hmm. been there for them. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, that's great. Let me ask you this. How did, how did what you grew up experiencing impact your style of fathering? It's funny, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful disrespectful to my dad, but I, I remember when I became a father, I told Jody, my wife, I said, I think I know how to do it. I'll just do the opposite of everything my dad did. <laughs> so I figured that's probably <laughs> that's probably what you said in your in your mind, and that's probably what you did because you're a great yeah. father and you, you're well, just a wonderful that. father. And, and I meant that tongue in cheek, but there was a little mm-hmm. bit of truth to that too. And so yeah. my kids will tell you they probably get tired of me. <laughs> telling them 20 times a day, how much I love them yeah. and how proud yeah. I am, you know, of them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I want them to hear that. That's so good. That is so good, Travis. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the events that led up to your father eventually finding Jesus. Tell us sure. a little bit about that process and how that happened. Well, like I said, you know, when I turned 29 and after that, that funeral of my great grandma's, I, I noticed the softening. Mm-hmm. And it what it what it was really little things. No one else would notice it. But for example, I'd invite him to church at least once a year. I'd invite him for Easter, and he'd cuss me out. But I noticed after that he didn't cuss me out anymore. He still wouldn't come, <laughs> but at least he didn't cuss me out and get angry. Right. And then I noticed often he'd tell me how proud he was of me and how much he loved me. Uh, and then I remember a story my sister told me. This this came through her. She said. Yeah, dad was in the bar. And by the way, he lived in the bars um, there in Frankfurt. And she said, dad was in a bar and some guy said something mean about preachers and dad got a fight with him. And he said, my son's a preacher and grabbed him and threw him down. And, you know, <laughs> and that's something. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then he started asking for prayer, which he never did before. He had back trouble and he'd ask me to pray for him. Uh, but if I let me share this quick, quickly. Something happened about four or five years ago. Um, I was pastoring there in Cincinnati, and Dad called me and said, Travis, God answered a prayer for me. I need to tell you about it. I said, well, go ahead, Dad. He said, no, I got to tell you face to face. This was on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'll be there. Monday morning, I drove to Frankfurt and sat down. It's a long story, so I, I'll just give you the, uh, you know, sum it up here. But Dad was on a trip. And so he was from Southern Indiana hunting mushrooms. He was on his way back to Frankfurt and he was sick. He had just had surgery and he'd forgot his medication and get some guy gave him some pills and they were spiked with something. His dad said, I thought I was going to die. He said, I got to Indianapolis. He said, I could hardly drive. I could hardly see straight. And he said, I, I got in the worst um, rainstorm I'd ever experienced. And he said, I prayed, God, if you're real, get me home. And he said, Travis, mm-hmm. God got me home. And now he said, I've doubted for years that God existed. I know now he's real. No one can change my mind. And I said, Dad, God answering your prayer is God answering my prayer. And I prayed sure. for you for 30 years that mm-hmm. you would get saved. And he said, I braced when I, when I said that, but he said, I know I need to get saved. And then he got lung cancer last May and uh, got a bad diagnosis. And there's nothing that could be done. And he told me in the hospital, he said, well, this is better than getting hit by a bus. At least I can say my goodbyes. And I said, dad, it also means that you can pray. Mm-hmm. And he said, I know. 
I know. And so dad began to um, really soften. So I was scheduled to preach in Frankfurt last year. And um, dad heard about it and said he wanted to come hear me preach. And he never had, never had mm -hmm. heard me preach except those funerals. And by this time, dad was blind in one eye. He was on a walker. And I got to town that weekend and I went to see him. And I said, uh, I sat down next to dad and he said, I just got one question for you, son. One question. He said, can you save me? Mm. Can you save me? I said, well, I think Jesus and I can get the job done. <laughs> yes, that, sir. Yes. That Sunday morning, he came to church mm -hmm. and he walked down, sat on the front seat mm -hmm. and he got there late. He walked down, stopped in the middle of the uh, auditorium. I was on the platform, looked up at me and winked <laughs> and he went and he went and sat down and I preached a simple gospel mm -hmm. message. Everyone knew why he was there. And after the message, I went down, led him to Christ. And I said, Dad, you know, this is, this is the culmination of over 30 years of me praying for you. And I said, for the first time in my life, my father is now my brother in Christ. That's beautiful. And uh, it's, the, the change in yeah. him was just unbelievable. He testified to the mail lady. He testified to his lawyer. He testified to family members. He reconciled with my brother. That's a miracle. Yes, he only lived 25 yes. days after his conversion. Wow. But in that 25 days, he testified to everyone what God had done. Jody and I went to his home and you could feel the difference yeah. in, in, in the home. It was just amazing. Amazing. Yeah, that's and he was converted in the very church that he that right. he, years before that he that he, that he they cursed, cursed and, and swore. Yeah. yeah. And I, I I told that story at his funeral. Yeah. And I said, only Jesus Christ can reverse the curse. Yeah. I like that. Uh, that's beautiful. And to think that God has so much love and compassion that he would bring him to that very spot where under his son's ministry he could find the answer yeah. that his life was looking for. We we've just got about Three minutes here before we wrap things up, and one of the things I we wanted to take a few moments to talk about here, Travis, and I'm, I think you are specifically in a place to talk about this, and that is if you were sitting down and having a conversation with someone whose sibling or parent is a non-Christian, they're lost, they need the Lord, um, what would be some of the specific ways that they could help what are the things that they could do in praying for their non-believing loved ones? What would you recommend to them in keeping that bridge of relationship open? What would be some practical things you would say? Sure. I mean, they're very practical. I think there's five things that come to mind. Number one, never stop praying for them. Mm -hmm. Never stop praying. Mm -hmm. And there's many times over the years, these decades, decades that I was tempted to give up. I didn't see change. Mm -hmm. I was discouraged, but I kept praying for every day. Every day I prayed for him. Secondly, recognize that your lost family uh, member is not your enemy, right? We don't, re right. We, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Third, respond like Jesus and try not to react. Mm -hmm. You know, there were times he said mean things and I wanted to lash out, but I kept my mouth shut. And if you know me, you know, that's a testament to God's grace. that <laughs> I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> But I, I tried to act like Jesus. Yes. You know, to my knowledge, my dad never read a page of scripture, but he read my life. 
Like Paul says in Second Corinthians, you know, our lives are letters written on the hearts that everyone can read. We're living epistles. Yes. Dad, Dad never read the Psalms. He never read about the goodness and grace of God, but he saw it in, in my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I'm not perfect. Um, I'm certainly not flawless, but I've tried to be faithful. Right. Um, fourth, take advantage of birthdays and special days, even if it's awkward. You know, so dad always got a plate of cookies from us and he loved Jody's cookies. The only time he smiled was when <laughs> Jody would make him cookies. Those are some kind of cookies, aren't they? Oh, they, they are good. <laughs> and then finally, this is very important to share the burden with others. Every church I've ever pastored, every youth camp I've ever held, every place I've ever been, whether it's overseas, holding revival meetings, I'd say, please pray for my dad. Yes. The morning dad was saved, I counted over 300 people praying for him. That's beautiful. That yeah. So and beautiful. It, what's amazing to me is at, at dad's funeral, right? Hardly any of his drinking buddies were there, but my preacher buddies were there. Present parishioners, former parishioners were there. Mm-hmm. And, and I know we're running out of time, but I got to tell you this. My dad is literally buried and surrounded by saints. <laughs> right. So we didn't, we didn't have a plan. He didn't That's have a plot. Awesome. Yeah. He didn't have a yeah. plot prepared. We had to buy right. a plot and it's right next to Jody's uh, grandparents. You know, you know, Guy Mauer, yes. he was a yeah. godly man. Mm-hmm. Her grandma Fry and uh, Paul Fry will eventually be buried there. Paul's wife, Rose is buried there. Paul's brother, Danny, one of the best soul winners I ever knew is buried there. Wilbur Bailey, pastor Wilbur mm-hmm. Bailey, Sue Bailey. I think you knew them. Yes. They're buried there. Jody's aunt and uncle will be buried there someday. I mean, he is literally surrounded by saints. He's surrounded by the very people he once despised. Only grace can paint that. Only grace. That's exactly right. Only the grace of God. Well, I so appreciate you, Travis, sharing this today. Thank you for being here on Hope Along the Journey. And friends, I hope that you will not only listen to this, but share this with somebody who needs to hear the message. For Jesus Christ is truly the hope of the world. If you'll look to him, you'll find hope along the journey. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you would like to know more about Hope Along the Journey, or if you would like to make a donation to show your support and appreciation for this ministry, then visit our website at hopealongthejourney.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for more Hope Along the Journey.